0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast where we examine a key issue or a story that we have been publishing and covering on Women's Agenda. My name is Angela Priestley, I'm the Editorial Director of Women's Agenda and today's topic is all about childcare and what could be next for a sector that is uh, very much vital to women's workforce participation but also for early childhood development as well. Now it has been under considerable strain for a long time and in many cases has been uh, prohibitively expensive for for working parents and has kept some uh, otherwise working parents out of the workforce or otherwise working less days than they'd ideally like to. So the sector has faced monumental challenges during the pandemic but could actually face its biggest threat ever in the coming weeks. So with me today to talk about the issue and to explain how we got here is Georgie Dantar, Contributing Editor on Women's Agenda. How are you, Georgie?
1: I am well, thank you. And I'm happy to be here talking to you.
0: Yes, well, it just is pretty lucky that we actually have you on our team because you are the absolute expert on childcare. And right now you're also acting, uh, maybe you could tell us about the role that you're acting in at the moment, leading the campa- the campaign with the Parenthood to... Uh, basically get the government rethinking the childcare sector?
1: Yeah, so I have been on the board of a not-for-profit organisation called The Parenthood for a bit over a year and it is an advocacy organisation that ultimately tries to give a voice to parents um, with a view to sort of securing a better future for Australian children and Australian families. And Three of our main areas that we focus on is ensuring access to high-quality, affordable um, early childhood education, paid parental leave and um, ensuring as many Australians as possible work in um, friendly workplaces in which they can combine their family and paid responsibilities. So uh, childcare obviously has always been one of the organisation's big areas of focus and when news broke... Uh, over the weekend, that the government was in fact thinking of uh, pulling the free childcare, its rescue package, um, for the childcare sector early, as early as the 28th of June, we basically mobilised and I stepped into the role of um, spokesperson effectively for this campaign because we, um, like a lot of people in the sector, were very concerned that if this rescue package is pulled in six weeks' time, it will almost certainly result in widespread closures of centres. Conservative estimates have it that, you know, if this happened, we would be looking at 30% of services at a minimum closing their doors. And that is absolutely untenable. Uh, It's untenable and unacceptable for children, but also for parents and and for the economy. Because if we are uh, to sort of come out of this um, you know the economic aftershocks of this pandemic in a better position, we are absolutely going to need a really robust early learning um, and care sector.
0: Yes, exactly. How do we snap back if 30% of those centres are closed and it becomes even more difficult to get those childcare spots and also if uh, uh, it becomes even more difficult to afford those childcare spots? So just to take it back a step, um, so a few weeks ago, uh, I think both of us watched from different places of the same city in amazement as uh, the Education Minister stood next to Scott Morrison and announced that childcare would be free for parents who need it for the duration of the pandemic so if we can go back to that point why did that happen why did it go free? okay so the government stepped in at, at that point when it did because
1: uh, so that was in, it was the second of April when they actually made that announcement and it came into effect about three days later what had happened over March was that as this um, sort of pandemic, got worse in that people were losing jobs, they were losing income, they were having their hours reduced. As we moved towards shutdown, a lot of parents started pulling their kids out of childcare. Now, some of this was purely from a health perspective because they had concerns about their children um, potentially contracting or spreading the virus. But for a lot of people, it was also financial. So if, if one parent or both parents had lost their job or they'd had reduced hours, their income was down, childcare was not an expense that they could justify. Um, and then obviously there would have been people where it was a combination of both the health concerns and the financial concerns. But what we saw was a reduction in numbers around 40%, which was a huge drop, in a you know, really in a couple of weeks over March. And what that meant was that centres, only receive government funding for the number of um, children that they have enrolled in a particular service, and so for a service, um, and not even you know to operate for a profit, but just for a service to operate viably, you need to have you know attendance rates between eighty and ninety percent. You know, obviously there are differences, but it is sixty percent attendance rate is well below break-even point, mm. and so the government stepped in because the mass departure of um, kids was meaning that a whole lot of centres were basically going to be on the brink of having to close their doors because without funding, they couldn't employ staff, they couldn't look after the children and it just would would not be viable. And then obviously that would have dire implications for, you know, workforce participation. And so the government stepped in and it was one of the sort of um, most comprehensive industry rescue packages that they came up with. And it is, deeply flawed and it has created a number of problems for, for operators as well as parents. Uh, in that the government said we will pay centres fifty percent of their pre COVID nineteen revenue. So however many you know kids were enrolled in a service before March, they would the government would give them fifty percent of the fee. Parents would pay nothing and then the ideally the educators and employees in those centres would be eligible for JobKeeper. Mm. And the idea was that the combination of those two um, financial packages would enable centres to keep their doors open. Now, that has happened because this week, um, the government released its own review of this package and it showed very clearly 86% of services said the rescue package has helped them keep their doors open. Mm. So, on that measure, it has absolutely succeeded. But there are a number of really big problems that need to be addressed and the idea of snapping back to the old system in six weeks time is absolutely diabolical because all of the same pressures that were there that led to the government having to step in are basically still there. So the health risk, I think it's fair to say, is more contained at this point than it was in March but the job losses are still very much alive and well. We are not in a, we're not at a point where individual households' financial circumstances are anything like they were back in February, uh, and so that means there would be a lot of families making decisions that that childcare is not something they can afford, and then we would see the position that the government tried to avoid, which was centres closing their doors.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so a few things there. So you said eighty-six percent have said they were able to keep their doors open. So does that mean we've lost one in, more than one in ten childcare centres? Or
1: uh, no, we haven't actually had um, we haven't had any barely any closures at all. But what what that does mean is that there have been a number of centres where they have found this really difficult. Yeah. Uh, so they've stayed open, but it's been very difficult. So the two two really big problems. The first one is that as much as 30% of the early childhood education workforce were not eligible for JobKeeper. And as I said at the beginning... why
0: was that? Because on temporary visas or what what, what was going on?
1: Because they were either on temporary work visas or they were employed as casuals and therefore weren't eligible. Mm. And then there was also the issue of... um, Good Start Early Learning, which is the largest provider in the space, and it is a not for profit, but its turnover is more than a billion dollars. So it's, none of its staff were eligible for JobKeeper because um, the rules for organisations with turnover of a billion dollars was higher than below that. So it was all, and the government actually knew ahead of time that there was going to be that issue that up to 30% of the workforce would not be able to access JobKeeper. And without JobKeeper covering wages, then it was going to be very difficult for a number of uh, services to. They have stayed open, but it's been at great cost, and you know there will be debt accumulated because of that. And then the other um, services that have been really badly impacted by this rescue package um, are family daycare providers. Family daycares are so much smaller in terms of the numbers of children they have enrolled because they are at-home services, mm. um, and because of that they have not seen sort of an, any exodus of, of um, children enrolled. So most family daycare centers have still maintained about 90% of ordinary attendance rates, which means they are trying to do exactly the same job with as many children attending on as many days, but they're only getting half the money that they were previously getting. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and in, of, in oftentimes they're actually getting even less than half of what they were getting because um, the revenue does not totally equal fees. If that mm. makes sense, yeah. So those, so there have certainly been in, um, parts of the sector that have been badly affected by this rescue package, and we think that um, those issues could be resolved, um, you know, without too much difficulty. I think the education minister, Dan Tehan, actually announced on Wednesday night that they have made an additional twelve million dollars available to cover uh, employees who were not eligible for JobKeeper. So that is. Uh, you know, a welcome step. And then they have also um, said that there'll be $800,000 in funding made available for um, family daycare centres. And so, I mean, those two things are very positive, but those two things alone will not um, save this sector. And, you know, we will not, without structural change, we will not stave off a potential collapse of this service.
0: Yeah, and we need to think about what a potential collapse or even a partial collapse would mean. Um, so as you're talking, a few things coming to mind are the uh, the jobs figures that we've seen over the past week with 55% of all jobs that were lost in April uh, being uh, women's jobs. Um, so 325,000 women found themselves unemployed. We've seen uh, the rates of hours going at the – Um, When it comes to the number of Australians who've had their hours reduced during the April period, women also fared a lot worse than men. Um, And we actually saw women's workforce participation rate go backwards, which is one of those key things that we've been looking at over years and years, and, and you just want to see that increase. It's it's the, the figure that we always look at when we look at Australia's excellent education rates for women and why that uh. isn't actually corresponding with how we fare in terms of women's workforce participation. So I can't put myself in the mind of uh, the government right now and think why do they need or why are they aiming for this snapback with the childcare sector? well in advance of the other snapbacks that they're talking about in terms of... I mean, we know that JobKeeper is uh, going until September. So why do this in June? So I
1: I think the answer there is that they tabled a return to the old system in June, which was three months ahead of schedule. When this package was announced, neither the Prime Minister or the Education Minister put a specific date on it, but both of them on multiple occasions made the point that this would likely be in place for a six-month period. And because it was announced in conjunction with the JobKeeper package, which was the 6 months, the impression that parents and most people in the sector got was that this arrangement would be in place for six months. Now, I think the reason that they have been contemplating a potential... Uh, snap back early is because there has been a lot of blowback from the sector because as I explained earlier Mm. there have been problems with this rescue package Uh, one of the other big problems um, and this is something I'm sure you've heard these stories I've heard from so many different parents with um, so many different parents with these stories that because centres are trying to operate with less revenue a number of services have reduced the days that they're open they have reduced Um, the days and and hours that particular kids can attend. Um, Some centres have sort of said, right, we're unenrolling everyone and then you have to re-enroll and you get what you're given in terms of days. And we already know that sort of inflexibility is really difficult because most people have got their work and care as far as possible lined up so that if you work two days a week, they're the two days that your child is in care. So all of those changes have a huge impact on families if those things don't align. And we have seen problems with that. One of the problems, one of the reasons we've seen that is, as I said, job.
0: Hello. Oh, we've just lost Georgie for a moment there. Oh, oh there she is. She's back. Okay.
1: <laughs> sorry, I'm That's back. Okay. Um, so centres have been doing that and then are parents have been really unhappy. As I said, also family daycares have been in a really difficult position. So I think the
0: government has heard a lot of the negative feedback and thought
1: it's time to go back to the old model.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. So just to right. go back to the old model rather than reimagining the old model. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, and So let me just say
1: one thing. Well, I'm saying a lot of things. But <laughs> in terms of those unemployment figures that you talked about, because that is – a fundamental difference that our economy is now facing. And we already know that because um, women are losing jobs and hours and pay at a faster rate or at a greater rate than men are, and we know that directly will impact what um, they will be able to afford and what their children can and can't do in terms of care. So our analysis that the parenthood has done shows that of the 900,000 Australians who either lost work or hours, or were stood down in April. There's about 350,000 of those are parents with a child in care, mm. and we have run some analysis that shows that if we went back to full fees as per the old system, we would be looking at a minimum of 20% of kids being taken out, which would be around 270,000 children or if it's 30% that's 400,000 children who could be taken out of care and as i said earlier with those sorts of reductions in numbers mm-hmm. centers cannot operate viably yeah. and then you have a position where you've got a whole lot of children who are not only coming to grips with the the inevitable stress that comes from you know a household's income changing a parent being out of work two parents being out of work but then they also lose all of the social and economic benefit, educational benefits of being able to attend, um, have that continuity of care that they've had. Um, and so, you know, that picture is terrifying. It's, it's genuinely terrifying um, for for children and for families.
0: Mm. Okay. So the parenthood is currently asking parents to share their views at the moment. Yes. Um, yes. I- I'd like to end on thinking of about what the system... I mean, we've we've published many a pieces on this about the idea that we can't actually revert back to the childcare system that we had. It was never a good system. It never actually worked as it should have worked. So this really should be an opportunity to reimagine it and to rethink it. What would you ideally like to see happen from here? Okay, so what
1: I would absolutely welcome would be a move towards making high-quality early learning, um, education and care accessible um, in a really, if not free, in a highly, highly subsidised manner. And even if we start with saying there's two a week for every three- and four-year-old um, in
0: Australia... Hello, we're just... Lo- yep. Every, you yeah, you mentioned... Up. Yep, so we're talking about highly subsidised every three- to five-year-old...
1: Yes, should have around two if, – if we could move to a system where it was basically two days a week um, that was subsidised by the government um, for all three- and four-year-olds, that would be a terrific start. One of the, one of the big problems, and the Education Minister, Dan Tien, acknowledged this when he announced the rescue package. He said that the old system was built for pre-pandemic times and that it was very complex. And both of those points are very true. And what we would say is that it is really naive and unrealistic to expect that in September when JobKeeper finishes um, and when we then have to look at whatever happens to the unemployment figures, Australia is going to be in a vastly, vastly different place to, to what it was. And so that system is not going to be fit for purpose because one of the other you know, unique things about the old system that we have had is that it's really geared towards supporting families in work. So in households where there's one person who doesn't work, you're punished quite harshly in terms of fees. Mm. So if one parent, because of the activity test, if a parent doesn't work, they're only entitled to one day a week subsidised and they've still got to pay 15% of the fees. But also if they have a partner who earns 6 a year or more, they don't get any subsidy.
0: Mm.
1: So what, you know, and when Australia was in the position we were, you know, before February this year, when we've had unemployment sitting around 5%, that was able, you know, it was not perfect. There were lots of problems. There were lots of people calling for reform. But the reason that it worked was because we had almost full employment. We're now going to be looking at a very different employment market Uh, We don't know for how long, but I think it would be unrealistic to expect we're going to have any sort of considerable bounce back, you know, in the next 12 months. I I hope, I'm hopeful that things return faster than that, but I think we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that we're going to be in a very different economy. And I think one of the best investments the government could make is in ensuring that we have an early learning um, system that is robust enough that can help children and families get through a recession. Mm -hmm. because. It's, there's so much research that indicates for every dollar that the government spends on early learning um, and education in the, in the years before primary school we get two dollars back in benefits some of those benefits are short- term in terms of the um, parents you know participation in the workforce but some of those are longer term because children who don't attend pre-primary, education are far more vulnerable to having problems when they arrive at school and that continues over the course of their primary and secondary education. Mm-hmm. And then it has flow-on effects to their income potential and their educational attainment. So it's it's one of those things where if, if we invest on ensuring that this is something that kids have, the same way that, you know, we've been in the middle of a pandemic and there's been lots of debate about what do we do about schools, but no one for one minute said oh, well, we'll have to close the schools permanently. Mm. We'll have to take, you know, primary school education will no longer be able to function. Because we know that it's too valuable a service that even in a recession, that is something that the government will ensure its citizens have access to. And there is no reason that early learning should not be the same.
0: Mm. Okay, do you, just to end on, do you have any idea how much this would cost? Uh, well, there are different there are different models. So I
1: think at the moment we spend about eight billion dollars um, on early learning, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of inefficiency there. We've seen that this is a really fragmented market, so there's not a consistent framework. So we've seen, even though the government subsidies have been increasing, increasing exponentially for the last five to ten years. Parents' out-of-pocket costs have not been going down. You know, if they have gone down, it's basically been a negligible amount. And, and the reason for that is that the the subsidies have, in effect, kept prices going up. And so, certainly, this is an investment that would, you know, would take a lot of money. But the Grattan Institute recently put out a paper, and it suggested for an extra $5 billion, so if we were spending $13 billion a year instead of eight the return there would be phenomenal um, and that would basically be working towards having really highly subsidised subsidised two days of care available to all three and four-year-olds. Mm,
0: okay.
1: Um, and so I don't have all of the policy answers just yet on what the new system could look like, but I do know that this is absolutely the time that we need to start thinking differently about how families can access care and how it's delivered and I think... You know, we we can't afford to not use this opportunity to to make it different because if we don't, we will absolutely see centres close and we will see children miss out, we'll see parents miss out, and we'll see our whole, you know, community and societies miss out.
0: Yes, absolutely, and this is one of those conversations where we may have been talking about how we could change the childcare system a year or so ago, but the thought of it actually changing really quickly would have seemed like some kind of far-off pipe dream. But that's not the case anymore. We saw, I mean, a few weeks ago we could never have imagined that uh, the Morrison government would be there announcing that childcare would be free for a period for parents, so it's not beyond the realm of possibility to see how this system could be overhauled from here on. So... Georgie. Yeah. That, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I
1: was just going to say that's exactly right. I mean, at the parenthood at the at our sort of end of 2019 strategy session last um, year, we really we 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 have talked about universal access to early childhood education. Um, you know, if we could achieve anything close to that within a five-year time period, we were thinking, you know, that is our biggest goal. That's what we need to work towards, and we certainly could not have predicted that we would be in this position now. Um, but it's really clear that five years is too long to wait for that and we we have an opportunity now to to change that Um, and I'm hopeful that we can work to making that happen because I think one of the things that coronavirus has sort of shown and taught us is that things can change really quickly when they need to. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So many things have changed so quickly um, for industries and countries and individual families and schools and healthcare systems in ways that previously were thought to be too difficult or too dramatic or too bold, but now Are too expensive it, you know,
0: it, as well. I mean, we that's, that's the other thing, often <laughs> these things just seem too expensive, but we see how quickly those shifts can be made.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, when you're spending money, it's you have to look at what you get back in return. You know, it's like spending three billion dollars on some sort of epic stadium that no one needs mm. is potentially a terrible investment, but spending an additional five billion dollars on educating. Um, young Australians and ensuring their educational futures, ensuring their parents' economic futures and security, that's a worthwhile investment.
0: It is. Thank you so much, Georgie. Thank you. This has been a crash course on childcare and everything that's going on with the sector right now, which it can be pretty confusing. So thank you so much for, for taking us through it. And you've been doing some great writing on this topic on women's gender as well, and throughout other parts of the media too, being an advocate and spokesperson for this issue.
1: Thank you, and thank you so much for your support on this issue and um, for having a chat today.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast once again. Thank you to Georgie Dent for sharing all her amazing information that she has got on childcare and the sector as it stands today. Um, Just a reminder that all the stories that we have been discussing and all the issues that we discuss on this podcast, you can find some reference to and plenty more on on our website, womensagenda.com.au. You can also go there and subscribe to our free daily newsletter, which is womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. And if you haven't seen it, we have recently launched a member platform where we provide a bunch of really great career resources, including a series of mini keynote videos with female leaders. Uh, webinars, reader chats and other things there. Um, We provide that to members and our members in turn support our female-led journalism. It's low cost, it's simple, it's really easy. It's Women's Agenda Extra and you will also find that on our website. Thank you.